This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Due to the graphic nature of this cult's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of graphic material that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for listeners under 13. Lenshina Malenga felt her fingers begin to tingle. Her heart began to beat rapidly. A bolt of electricity ran up her spine, and she began to convulse, falling to the floor. She left her body and walked through the heavens, watching her family run to her aid miles below. As night fell, she saw a figure coming towards her in the darkness, traversing the heavens. She was not afraid. She knew this man. She had been a Christian all her life. He smiled at her, spoke with her. He gave her a purpose. She was meant to be a great leader, the woman who would unite all of Zambia. Like a gunshot, she awoke in her home, surrounded by family and friends. She had been in a coma for three days. They thought that she was dead. Lenchina saw that her family had been in the middle of preparing her for her own funeral. She had awoken just moments before she would have been buried alive. She remembered her dream and told her family she was not dead. She was a prophet, reborn. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And this is Cults. Today we're taking a deep dive into the history, rapid ascent, and violent fall of the Lumpa Church in Zambia during the mid-20th century. Founded and led by Lenchina Alice Mulenga, this cultist group blended elements of Christianity with traditional African beliefs. You can listen to previous episodes of Cults, as well as all of ParCast's other shows, wherever you listen to podcasts. A new episode comes out every Tuesday. Everyone always asks us how they can help support the show. And if you enjoy the podcast, the best way to do that is to leave a five-star review online. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as at ParCast, and on Twitter at ParCast Network.
The Lumpa Church started as a mostly religious movement that intended to put women and lower classes at the forefront of society and elevate them from the oppression of colonial times. But the group quickly became a powerful voice for national independence in Zambia, and Lenshina and her followers got entangled in murky and deadly national politics. For the first part of this episode, we'll cover the early life and deeds of Lenshina Malenga, who rose from one of the minor tribal houses of Zambia to become founder and leader of the Lumpa Church, one of the most powerful organizations in the country. A life-changing vision turned her into a prophetess, and vision instilled the beliefs that became the foundation of her church. Lenshina turned it into a movement that at its height had over 150,000 followers until it became too big a political threat for the government to ignore. Since understanding the political climate of Zambia is essential to discussing the role that Lenshina's church played nationally, we're also going to establish the state of the local politics that Lenshina grew up around and examine what she did to place herself in such a threatening position to those in power. But before we get into the power struggles and political intrigue that plague this story, let's go back to Zambia in the first decades of last century. Alice Lenshina Mulenga was born in 1920 in the Kasamo village of the Chinsali district in northern Rhodesia, a British colony in Africa, now known as Zambia. Her traditional African name was Mulenga Bubusha, but she was later baptized and known as Alice Lenshina, which literally translates to Alice the Queen. Lenshina belonged to a group of people called the Bembas, one of the largest ethnic groups in Zambia. Their culture is spread largely across Central Africa. They live in small villages of a couple hundred people each. Every family belongs to a clan named after an animal or a natural organism. Lenshina's family belonged to the crocodile clan. The Bemba are a matrilineal and matrilocal tribe, though in theory more than in practice. This is something common among many ethnic groups through Africa. Matrilineal means that, unlike most of the Western cultures, descent and inheritance is determined through the female line of the family. Matrilocal means that the families usually live or move with the wife's family after marriage. Lenchina belonged to an ethnicity that traditionally put women forward, even if these practices weren't always followed, especially as African territories began to be colonized and acquired Western beliefs. But this is an aspect of her society that she would internalize, and she would eventually bring back again when it came time to organize the lineage of her own church. The Bemba tribes have a social organization similar to a monarchy, in which a person rules over each clan, like the crocodile clan that Lenchina belonged to. That person in turn responds to a larger chief, who oversees every clan as a whole, with religious and political authority, much like a king or a queen would. This person is called the Chiti Mukulu, a position named after the first Bemba chief. Chiti Mukulu, or Chiti the Great, who led the Bemba out of the Congo into their eventual settlements. When British invaders first began to establish their colonies in Africa during the start of the 20th century, they started referring to the Chiti Mukulu as the paramount chief to establish a clear distinction between the local aristocracy and the colonial government of England. To the colonial government, only the British monarch could hold a title equivalent to king. 
So Lenshina was born and grew up within a hierarchical system of traditional and religious beliefs, where ultimate power was given to a single individual. That sounds a little like the foundations of a cult. That is somewhat true, although not entirely. Before we continue, we should note that Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or a psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Greg. As psychology researchers Anthony R. Pratkinis, Stephen J. Breckler, and Anthony G. Green point out on their studies on behavioral patterns, the longer a person engages in and repeats a certain behavior, the less likely that it will become a conscious decision for them to make it in the future. Meaning that the more you do something, like participating in a certain societal system or hierarchy, the likelier you are to repeat it later on without even realizing it. The tribes and colonial government that Lenchina grew up around are much more complex societal structures than a cult. But the church that she would found years later does imitate the basic power structure of having a single person with total religious and political authority. During her early years, Lenchina took in this behavior every day, almost unconsciously, as well as other beliefs like the matrilineal organization of her tribe. So it makes psychological sense that she would then replicate them as she was putting forward her own organization. Lenchina's mother, Musunga Chimba, and her father, Lubusha Kasaka, belonged to one of the lower classes inside the Bemba tribe, a minor house named the Nganda. Her father was a village policeman who fought on the British side during World War I and, as tribal tradition allowed, was a polygamous man. He was known for having regular and promiscuous encounters with many women at a time and for neglecting Lenchina's family and leaving them in poverty. Through her life, Lenchina would never forget her humble origins, and even though she rose to a place of tremendous power and influence in the nation, she never claimed to be of a higher rank than the one she was born into. Lenchina was raised in the Presbyterian faith, as were most of the Bemba people. Like most of the African territories during colonial times in the 1920s, Lenchina's village was plagued by missionaries trying to spread the beliefs of Western religion. Her district in particular was known for housing two competing Christian missions, the Roman Catholic Missionaries of Africa, also known as the White Fathers, and the Presbyterian United Free Church of Scotland, under whose teachings Lenchina was raised. Missionaries were constantly competing for the right to spread their doctrines to the indigenous tribes, as well as for land to establish schools in the more rural and deserted areas. With the inflow of missionaries coming in during colonization, local tribes lost control of the education of their own people. Indigenous teachers were considered too uneducated to have positions at schools, and even the early missionaries who had arrived there first were dismissed over time as more cultured men under the control of the British government took their places. Lenchina grew up inside a system that selected only the best and most qualified people to be in charge of the education of the masses. This feeling of unfair discrimination against the lower classes would never leave her, and would become a core belief in the teachings of her church. At the beginning of the 1930s, not too long after hitting puberty, Lenchina married a man named Gibson Nkwale and had a child with him. Unfortunately, Gibson died of health complications very soon after the child's birth. As is tradition with the Bemba tribes, if a woman's husband dies, she is then made to marry his brother or cousin through what is called wife inheritance. 
Then she's forced to have sex with him in order to remove her dead husband's spirit from her body. This is called sexual cleansing, and if women don't go through with it, they're virtually shunned from the community and considered unclean. Lenshina, according to this custom, married her husband's cousin, Petros Chintanwaka, and had five children with him. Lenshina was a loving and present mother throughout the upbringing of her children. She was a devoted churchgoer and an active member of the community. She was always willing to lend a hand and to help those who were in need. There was nothing particularly outstanding about her yet, just a simple woman with a simple life. However, she was prone to epileptic attacks. Epilepsy is a syndrome wherein the brain is stimulated with unusually high electrical activity, which leads to involuntary and violent body movements called seizures. Epilepsy is commonly associated with poor living conditions, especially in low-income rural communities. As Devinder Bala, a researcher from the Institute of Neuroepidemiology and Tropical Neurology, points out, some of the conditions that can exhibit epileptic symptoms include premature births, HIV-AIDS, and malaria. All of these are incredibly prevalent in African communities because of the limited access to proper health care, hygiene practices, and sexual education. It's most likely that Lanchina contracted some form of malaria through a mosquito bite, as this particular disease is very common in Africa and other tropical regions. If malaria is left untreated, the parasite can reach the brain cells and put the subject through intense epileptic attacks, hallucinations, comas, and even death. And sure enough, on the night of October 24, 1953, Lenshina fell victim to a serious attack of epileptic fits. A couple of hours later, she lost consciousness and fell into a coma that lasted over three days. The community was ready to declare her dead. But in that moment, Lenshina was having a vision that would change the course of her life. When she miraculously woke up days later, she claimed to have received a prophecy from Jesus Christ himself. Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. And now let's continue the story. On October 24, 1953, shortly after turning 33 years old, Lenshina Malenga fell into a coma from an epileptic attack. Three days later, her family and neighbors had given up hope that she would wake up again and were getting ready for her burial. But she came back. It's difficult to pinpoint exactly how or why Lenshina woke up from the coma, as different recollections and interpretations have come out since. Many followers believe that throughout these days, Lenshina died and was resurrected twice. Lenshina herself would later recall during her sermons that she came back from the dead no less than four times. What is to be the most consistent account is that after Lenshina woke up, she claimed to have received a vision. This prophecy would change the trajectory of Lenshina's life and become the foundation of her church. 
Lenchina said that in this vision, she was standing at the shore of a large, seemingly endless ocean when Jesus Christ appeared to her and told her to cross it. As she was walking through the waves, which were building a path back to earth, a group of angels gave her a series of divine messages on how to cleanse the earthly people of evil. The angels told her that she needed to preach against witchcraft and sorcery, as those were the impure and malignant practices that had condemned humankind. They told her the right way to spread these doctrines would be through traditional African rituals, as Western practices had become too overcome with greed and earthly temptations. These two elements of her vision, the vilification of witchcraft and the blending of African tradition with Christian beliefs, became the two biggest pillars in the teachings of Lenchina and her church. Now, whether she actually received these messages through a divine prophecy is highly debatable. As we mentioned before, Lenchina's days-long coma is now thought to be a consequence of a mistreated case of malaria that spread to her brain. The common symptoms for cerebral malaria include an impaired or elevated state of consciousness, convulsion and epileptic fits, delirium and hallucinations, and a coma that may last for stretches of over three days. Even if accounts differ on the exact duration of her attack, every single story mentions Lenchina experiencing all of these symptoms. But these symptoms also align with these steps that people having a religious experience or a divine vision usually go through. African religious scholars Dorothea Lehman and Robert Rotberg found that across many different religions and cultist movements, prophets seem to experience the same rite of passage in receiving a seminal vision. This rite is separated into four steps. Illness, separation, cure, and reintegration. Lenchina went through all of these steps in the four days that she spent in a coma. She fell gravely ill and experienced a separation from her community, her body, and the earthly world itself. She came back to and quickly recovered, or was cured, and was reintegrated into society, now with a different set of beliefs. Whether it was through divine prophecy or as a medical side effect, Lenchina had been given a new message to spread. As her health gradually improved, she began to share these new teachings with her community in local church meetings. She would go into lengthy sermons where she would actively reference African and Bemba culture, which had been pushed aside or was banned by the missionaries. She was helping people reconnect with the roots of their culture, which resonated tremendously with other churchgoers. She showed a special interest in women and mothers, reclaiming the matrilineal origins of the Bemba tribes, and welcomed poor rural workers to participate in the rituals. These are the people that missionaries would usually pass over with pity or contempt. Lenchina became an even more active member of the Presbyterian Church, but local priests and missionaries became aware that she was slowly gaining recognition and influence far beyond what the church was comfortable with, or what it allowed for a woman. She made repeated attempts to carry out baptism ceremonies and preaching sermons herself. Church leaders also did not like the way she seemed to be desecrating their Western rituals with African tradition. In 1954, not even a full year after she received her vision, Lenchina was expelled from the Presbyterian Church, allegedly because she lacked proper missionary training. In reality, it was because she was a woman who was gaining unwanted influence. 
This was perhaps the first moment in which Lenchina's tremendously powerful charisma and influence became a threat to others in power around her. But it certainly wouldn't be the last. After being banned from the Presbyterian Church, Lenchina found that many of the church members that had followed her sermons and teachings had actually continued to seek her out. These people had left the church along with her and would become her first followers. She continued to give sermons and perform healing rituals for the people that would come to her. After a few months had passed, her appeal did not seem to die down. So she and her husband Petros decided to found her own church. In 1955, when she was 35 years old, Lenshina Alice Mulenga officially began the Lumpa Church, a name that literally translates to superior or better than all others in the Bemba language. As it was foretold to her in her vision, the church was a religious sect that combined Christian beliefs with native rituals. One of her followers, Rosemary Radford Ruther, who was with Lenchina and the Lumpa Church from its very early origins, has observed that, quote, she was the first Bemba woman to challenge the status quo within Bemba Mission Christianity and developed her own mission paradigm from an illiterate Bemba woman's perspective, end quote. The Lumpa Church was offering insights into religion from a familiar point of view for the natives, This wasn't a group of white men coming from remote parts of the world telling people how to feel or what to do. It was one of their own, an ordinary woman who was not a part of the educated elite and who claimed to have spoken directly to Jesus. The Lumpa Church's doctrines were based on very simple rules, all of which directly stemmed from Lenchina's vision. The church banned sinful behaviors such as verbal insults, pride, lying, boasting, hatred, cruelty, false accusations, disobedience, deceit, and theft. It also had heavy restrictions on polygamy, smoking, and alcohol. Most importantly, and as the biggest distinction from both Christianity and African tradition, it outlawed the practice of widow inheritance, a ritual that Lenchina herself had been forced to partake in years before. This move is believed to be one of the roots of the Zambian feminist movement, a movement that is still being fought today. Lenchina actively tried to bring back the female center of the Bemba tradition that had been diluted with the arrival of the missionaries. She put women in high positions of power beneath her and surrounded herself with female counselors. The Lumpa Church was one of the first churches in African regions, and possibly worldwide, to put women in positions of religious authority. Unlike the very elitist Western churches, no one was banned from joining the ranks of the Lumpa Church. Lenchina would decree, quote, There should be no citizen or foreigner in the congregation, black or white, man or woman. We are all of the same family, and therefore we must love each other, end quote. Lenchina also made sure to speak to the poorer and less educated members of her congregation, the kind of people that she had grown up around, like they were her equals, not in any diminishing or contemptuous way, like the church and the government tended to treat them. The emphasis the Lumpa Church teachings put on women and other overlooked members of the African community positioned it directly against the two most powerful authorities of the time, the Christian Church and the colonial administration of the mid-century mission era. However, this stance was unintentional at first. Lenchina stated several times that 
Even though the angels in her vision told her that the practices of Western religion and government had become corrupted, the intention of the Lumpa Church was never to directly oppose or fight against them. It was more to steer the people towards the right path by making them join her church. The other two did not see it that way. They considered her a woman who was stepping out of her place to convert people to paganism. The relationship between these organizations and Lenshina would never recover, and they could become her biggest obstacle, and ultimately, her downfall. The other basic foundation of the Lumpa Church, besides righteous behavior, was its strict and aggressive opposition to witchcraft. According to the angels in Lenshina's vision, sorcery and devotion to cursed objects, which included everything from old pagan totems common in African religions to Catholic crucifixes and rosaries, were the main reasons humanity had fallen from fidelity into heresy. The Lumpa Church actively opposed the adoration of any religious symbols and encouraged members to either dispose of them or surrender them to their ministers and preachers. One pupil at a nearby Roman Catholic mission school reported to the heads of the Catholic missions, or the White Fathers, as you recall, that he had seen a whole hut full of magic implements, including rosaries and crucifixes, which the converts had given to Lenshina before their baptism. The Lumpa Church itself did not carry any specific iconography, since Lenshina considered it to be too close to the worship of witchcraft and false idols that she was so adamant against. However, there were a few symbols that were associated with the church through the years, like flags and carvings on the foundation stones of the temples, but they did not have any official meaning within the church and are believed to carry more personal value between the followers than anything else. With these two core beliefs, Lenshina and her quickly growing group of followers set out to remote communities that had either not yet been reached by missionaries or had started to show resistance to Western ideals. Preaching to crowds and taking some one-to-one FaceTime were the most effective ways for Lenshina to attract and convert new people. She was famous for her charismatic sermons and the compassion and empathy that she showed towards everyone she met. If you're a regular listener to our program, you know that a charismatic leader is one of the most important traits of a successful cult. However, by far the most effective and far-reaching tactic that Lenchina used to spread her teachings and attract new converts was her music. The hymns that Lenchina composed for the Lumpa Church became a seminal part of the organization's teachings and preaching strategies. They were uplifting compositions, religious and evangelical, that were sung in the original Bemba language of the people. The Lumpa Church was the first and only congregation in the country that allowed Zambians to worship God in their own native tongue. Lenchina claimed that Jesus Christ taught her most of the hymns she composed. Since the vital mission of the Lumpa Church was to integrate African culture into Christian beliefs, Lenchina saw the composition of these hymns as a way of translating the gospel into a familiar culture that her followers would be able to relate to. Of all the legacies that the Lumpa Church left behind, these hymns are by far its most lasting and transcending. Some of these hymns still continue to be sung in mainstream African churches to this day, even those that are not affiliated with the Lumpa beliefs. But the hymns also acquired a political side. 
In an academic retrospective done around Lenchina's movement, religious scholars Mutaliyam Kaunda and Sarojini Nadar believed that by singing these hymns, which praised God in their native language, while most of the missionaries insisted on worshiping in Latin, her followers were empowered to resist Western colonization. This would be a recurring element with Lenchina and the Lumpa Church, even though she never explicitly intended for any of her teachings to gain a political nature, the people of Africa would often take it as such, as the beliefs of the church resonated tremendously with the national political climate. This was not a complete surprise. One of the core beliefs of the church, after all, was its rejection of any earthly authority. Lenchina believed that all of humanity had been corrupted, and authorities like the government and other religious institutions were infected with pride, dishonesty, and banality. So obeying their orders would be an endorsement of their behavior. This was the core belief of the Lumpa Church that was the main point of conflict between them, the government, and the other local religions. As the number of followers inside the church grew, Lenchina established a great number of ministers and preachers that operated beneath her, and they set up what was essentially their own tribunals of justice. They decided what behavior was acceptable within its members and what punishments they would receive if they disobeyed the beliefs of the church, regardless of local laws. It was all relatively tame, but the self-governance that the church seemed to be displaying would soon become a big problem. By the end of 1955, less than a year before Lenchina started the Lumpa Church, their first temple had been erected. Pilgrims from all over the continent came to surrender witchcraft and fake idolatry objects and to get baptized by her. Her popularity grew at an alarming rate. Word spread like wildfire about her spiritual and healing abilities and her powerful teachings that embraced African culture. Soon everyone in Zambia had heard stories about how Lenshina was able to heal the sick and shelter those in need, and people came in hordes to experience it for themselves. People started referring to Lenshina as Maayo, which means mother, or Lobuto Iwachalo, the light of the world. But most people simply called her the Queen. It's as if her Christian name had foreshadowed everything that she was bound to become, a woman to rule over her people. Thousands more would soon come to worship her. We'll return to our story in just a moment. Now, our story continues. In 1957, the Lumpa Church was registered under the Societies of Ordinance in Africa. The number of followers at that point is estimated at somewhere between 50 and 150,000 people, more than both the Roman Catholic Church and the Church of Scotland had in Africa at the time. Whereas these two other religions had been struggling to gain new converts for years, Lenchina would perform dozens of new baptisms every day. This was a ceremony that she needed to do herself. It was considered the only ritual to become part of the church. Members were encouraged to attend meetings and sermons, but baptism was the only official act of observance. Just two years after its founding, the Lumpa Church had effectively become the fastest growing religious movement in Africa. By the end of 1957, branches for the Lumpa Church had been inaugurated in the districts of Chinsali, Kasama, Mpika, Lundazi, Isoka, and Kawambwa. 
Altogether, they numbered over 150 churches. Lenchina had constructed a network of congregations that spread across the most remote and neglected parts of the country. She had done what the Catholic missionaries, the British colonial government, and the local tribes had failed to do for hundreds of years. She had united Zambia. The Lumpa Church had managed to become one of the farthest reaching and most influential organizations in Zambia. By the winter of 1957, Lenchina and her closest associates, which included her husband Petros and friends that had been around her for pretty much all her life, decided to build one giant central cathedral for the church with the contributions that the followers had been making. She chose her home district of Chinsali as the place for it. It took several months to build, but the year after, in 1958, a large cathedral was erected. The church referred to it as the Sione, alluding to the name commonly used for the city of Jerusalem, or the land of Israel as a whole in the Jewish and Catholic scriptures. Lenchina claimed that in her original vision, Jesus Christ told her that he would be returning to earth, and this temple would be where he would have his second coming. It was intended to be the place that would inaugurate heaven on earth. This cathedral was specifically designed to look like the Catholic and Presbyterian churches that had been established all over the country through colonization. However, they made the walls exactly one foot larger in every direction, thus making the Lumpa Church Sione the biggest, most imposing religious building in the country. Many people saw this as a political act in which the Lumpa Church was trying to make a statement of superiority against other religions in the area, which, considering the number of followers it had and its influence across the country, was not necessarily untrue. The Lumpa Church's massive following was not only due to Lenchina's teachings, which welcomed all kinds of people and integrated local culture into their religion. It was also because the beliefs and political stances of the church, even if they were unintentional, aligned quite nicely with the sentiments of independence that had already been simmering under the surface of British colonies in Africa for several years. We'll discuss more about these other independence movements in Episode 2, but the rise of the Lumpa Church coincided with the rise of activist groups that were fighting against the British and the oppression of native people. Many of these ideals, especially the rejection of the church and the colonial government as authorities and the equality of classes, coincided with the philosophies that Lenchina spread to even the most remote corners of Zambia. Lenchina's word-of-mouth tactic is a device that has been commonly used throughout history among independence movements. In fact, the Lumpa Church's origins could be more easily compared to grassroots activism groups than to any other form of religious or political doctrine. Because of the Church's culture of pure and honest living that Lenchina preached, they were also ideologically opposed to abusive colonization practices like slave riding, tribute to government, and forced labor. And, as we discussed before, they had established their own organization system, separate from any local or colonial laws. It mostly dealt with spiritual punishments if any members broke the behavior laws. But it also oversaw issues like taxes and land property. Even if Lenchina did not necessarily start out with this particular mission, and it was the political and societal circumstances of the country that allowed it, the Lumpa Church had become a completely self-ministering, self-propagating, and self-reliant church. 
As thousands of people were abandoning normal society to join them, it gained unparalleled and rapidly rising political power. And it was starting to become a big problem for other authorities. One of the high-ranking ministers of the Lumpa Church at the time, Reverend Stone, recalls that the unforeseen responsibility of heading such an influential organization put Lanshina under severe stress. She was frequently isolated from the rest of her ministry and close associates, only socializing through sermons or baptismal ceremonies. She would spend the rest of the time in silent prayer. Because of this, most of the logistical and practical organization of the church fell on her husband and close ministers, all of whom had a much bigger political investment in the church's influence. According to most of the accounts from her followers, Lenshina never lost sight of what her main mission was, even if the church as an organization slowly gained more power than she could ever have anticipated. She was determined to enlighten and save humanity with the teachings of Jesus through traditional African culture. As Lanshina slowly gained more power and recognition among local communities, other authorities in the area did their best to try and bring down her popularity and credibility. They tried everything from fraud scandals to claims of demon possession. The White Fathers, who, as we mentioned, were the Roman Catholic faction of the missionaries in Africa, saw the Lumpa Church as a hoax from the very beginning. They had started to notice that there was a great disparity between the spiritual mission that Lenshina was preaching and the display of wealth that the people around her were showing, especially her husband and the high-ranking ministers. The White Fathers were convinced that this was all just an elaborate plan by Lenshina and her husband to financially benefit from the large contributions that they were getting. They had good basis to believe this. Some years before, rumors had spread about a woman in the region of Tanganyika, which is present-day Tanzania, who claimed to have a vision from Jesus Christ, and a small movement formed around her. It was proved to be a scam for her to get rich, and church officials believed Lenshina was following her example of brainwashing vulnerable minds for personal gain. They tried to point this out to their congregations, but by now, Lenshina's followers were showing blind devotion to her. They argued that Lenshina herself never took financial advantage of the church. This was true as far as official accounts from the church go. Lenshina never let the vast amount of power and wealth pull her away from her humble beginnings or her all-encompassing preaching. It's unclear whether she was complicit in the new display of wealth that her counselors were showing, or if they managed to pull these financial gains without her noticing. So the White Fathers decided to shift their focus from Lenshina's earthly aspirations to her spiritual life, since they quickly realized there was no way to convincingly prove it to her congregation. The White Fathers held the strong suspicion that Lenshina was actually possessed by an evil spirit. It's not known if this was a rumor started by the missionaries with the goal to defame Lenshina, or a true concern that they held among their ranks. But they constantly preached during their services about how her appeal and supposed powers were not coming from a true Christian source, but rather a demon. As scholars Gary Turhar and Stephen Ellis point out in their religious studies about spirit possessions and healing in Zambia, both Christianity and native African spiritual traditions hold the common belief that the human body is always in a vulnerable state and open for demon possession. 
what the Christians call Lucifer, Satan, or simply the devil, African communities, among them the Bemba tribes, refer to these spirits as Ngulus. Missionaries tried to convince both their own dwindling congregations and the hesitant converts of the Lumpa Church that Lanshina was actually possessed by a demon, calling it either Satan or Ngulu, depending on their audience. But their basis for this claim was very thin. According to Bemba tradition, the Ngulu spirits that possess a person can only fall within a very specific group of categories, a Kaluwe, or the spirit of a hunter, a Chilumbu, the spirit from a land in the east, a Luapula, a water spirit, a Baleka, the spirit of an African that is not Bemba or has been westernized, and a Mukalai, the spirit of a white person. Most of Lanchina's followers were deeply connected and knew of Bemba traditions and folklore. This was one of the reasons why they decided to join the Lumpa Church after all. So these arguments didn't really resonate with them, as Lanchina never appeared to show any signs of an Ngulu spirit possession. And those who believed she was under some sort of Christian satanic spirit were too few to really have any influence. This scare tactic was ultimately a failure. But the Christian leaders were not the only ones who were worried about the growing power of the Lumpa Church. The chiefs from all the Bemba tribes were mostly supportive of the Lumpa Church's rise in power. They appreciated the attempt that it was making to integrate their roots and traditions into their religious beliefs. And as we've discussed, feelings of national independence have been growing among the tribes. Many of them identified those beliefs inside the Lumpa Church. The tribes observed in surprise how the church grew so much in so little time. By 1958, two years after the church was founded, the clan leaders, and in particular the Chiti Makulu, which as we discussed was the sole leader that ruled above all other clans, started to grow suspicious of Lenshina as her followers began to claim that her power and authority was bigger than theirs. The Bemba supported Lenshina when she railed against the missionaries, the people that had oppressed and colonized them all as a whole. But as hundreds of more people joined her church, her followers were now also disregarding their own native hierarchy and operated outside the tribal system that had been in place for generations. One by one, every one of the Bemba clans in the Zambia regions rescinded their support of Lenchina and the Lumpa Church. By 1958, the only one that remained behind her was her own tribe, the Crocodile Clan, in no small part because most of the members of that clan had also climbed the ranks of the Lumpa Church and now held important positions of power. By the end of the 1950s, the Lumpa Church had a congregation of more than 150,000 followers. It had gained more religious power than the two biggest Western faiths in the area, and more political influence than the local governments and native tribes. As it headed into the 60s, the church would enter the height of its power and outreach, but it also would be the period of time where these tensions would dramatically escalate. Soon, there would be a confrontation that would change the course of the nation's history, a confrontation that thousands of people would not survive. In the second part of this episode, we're going to dive into the origins of the nationalist organizations that saw the Lumpa Church as a threat for the independence movement. The Lumpa Church found itself in a position of higher authority than both religion and government. 
with a congregation of thousands of people that were blindly devoted to Lenchina's teachings. As one follower said, We know no government, no chief. We only know Lenchina. Thanks again for tuning in to Cults. We'll be back with another episode next Tuesday. Some of you have asked how you can help the show. If you enjoy Cults, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. You can find Cults and all of ParCast's podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or on your favorite podcast directory. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as at ParCast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll see you next time. Cults was created by Max Cutler and is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Paul Liebeskind, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire, Carly Madden, and Jeanette Manning. Cults is written by Jorge Molina and stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson.